WDEV in Waterbury. Welcome to Vermont Viewpoint. I'm Kevin Ellis. Thank you for joining us. It's Wednesday, December 27th. We hope everyone had a good Christmas, a happy Hanukkah, holiday, wherever you are, and whether you do or don't celebrate. Today on the show, let's talk about the holidays. Let's take your calls about the holiday. How did you celebrate it, or are you still celebrating uh, if you didn't, tell us why. What's going on with you, the audience? We take your calls at 244-1777. We'd love to hear your stories. Email me at vtviewpoint at radiovermont.com. We might have some extra time to take your calls and stories today because I think we had a cancellation from one of our guests. Uh, I'll more about that later. Uh, last week, the Edward... Costello Courthouse in Burlington was searched and evacuated. Officials working in the office of Chittenden State's Attorney Sarah George uh, were threatened. The Burlington Police, FBI, and other law enforcement agencies descended on the building and escorted George's staff to their cars, and they worked remotely last Friday. Heck of a Christmas present. Sarah George, George has agreed to come on the show and talk with us at 930 uh, she has court appearances scheduled, so she's warned me that she might be late or if the schedule slips, she might not make uh, the appearance at all. But I felt it was important uh, to take this issue head on. Then at 10 a.m., the director of a mentoring program at Twinfield Union School, which is in Marshfield, everybody, uh, joins us to explain what she does and how she does it. Her name is Pam Quinn. She'll be with us at 10 o'clock. In and around those guests, we take your calls about the holiday. Do you have a favorite Christmas song, a favorite movie or TV show? How, many, how much time do you want? How, how many times did you watch The Grinch Who Stole Christmas? During last Friday's call with film and TV critic Keenan Ellis, we didn't get to many of your calls about your favorite shows and TV. So free, feel free to call us back. Keenan's not in studio, but... Um, and we, but we have Esquire magazine's top 60 movies, Christmas movies of all time in front of us. And we're glad to discuss them with you or debate them with you as the new year comes. So happy new year to everybody. And, uh, and we're getting ready for Friday's uh, show, which is a week in review and predictions. So we'll do week in review in the beginning. And then we'll end the show with predictions for 2024. Always a dangerous thing to do, predictions. Uh, you can hear us on your AM and FM dial and worldwide online at WDEVradio.com. Just click on the listen button. And if you miss the show, you can always catch up with the podcast that we make available very soon after the show ends. Frankly, I don't know how the folks in the studio do it, but it comes into my email about 10 minutes after the show, which is sort of an incredible feat. So all of that, and again, get your holiday stories ready, 244-1777. I want to talk to everybody about what they did for the holiday, what you're still doing, and what you're looking forward to in 2024. But first, this holiday story, Christmas Truce, 1914. It will be over by Christmas. That was what many of the 60 million soldiers sent to fight in the First World War had been told. And like so many, 
so much of what they had heard about the conflict, it was wrong. War had been declared in July 1914, and by Christmas of that year, there was no end in sight. Millions of soldiers were dug in, in trenches along the Western Front. Soldiers packed together, living in freezing conditions. Often these soldiers living a stone's throw from their enemy, with the distance between British and German trenches as close as 30 meters. Late on Christmas Eve, German troops began unwrapping gifts from home, with many having been sent Christmas trees with candles. As the soldiers lit their lanterns and displayed them on the edge of their trenches, carol singing broke out. Soon enough, British and French troops joined in. Christmas greetings and well wishes were exchanged, and offers of a temporary ceasefire were communicated between the trenches. Fear and distrust gave way to humanity, and as the sun rose on Christmas morning, troops from both sides tentatively made their way out to no man's land. The troops began to greet one another, and messages and gifts were exchanged. In a number of places, caps and jackets became goalposts as spontaneous games of football broke out, at least one of which German, the Germans allegedly won 3-2. to two. Corporal John Ferguson was among the many soldiers who wrote about their experiences that Christmas. What a sight, he said. Little groups of Germans and British extending almost the length of our front. Out of the darkness we could hear laughter and see lighted matches. A German lighting a Scotchman's cigarette and vice versa, exchanging cigarettes and souvenirs. What makes the truce of 1914 so surprising is that it was not one but many. The British-held area of the Western Front stretched across swaths of land and was home to a huge number of troops. Dozens of impromptu truces sprung up across the front, involving over 100,000 soldiers, while there were instances of failed truces or areas where the fighting continued. The scale of the truces that were observed is remarkable. The lull in fighting lasted until the new year in some places, but ultimately the pause was brief and the peace short-lived. While a number of similar instances occurred throughout the war, there was never another truce on the scale of Christmas 1914. In the wake of the events of the Christmas truce, there was a crackdown by military higher-ups on both sides. British High Command feared that similar incidents could undermine morale and erode the antagonism between German and British troops. Steps were taken to try and ensure it would not happen again. Despite promises that the war would be over, by Christmas 1914, the war was barely getting started. Three more Christmases came and went, and millions more troops would go on to lose their lives. Despite the truce, it re- this, despite this, the truce remain the truce remains a powerful and inspirational story of tenderness and compassion in the midst of the senseless chaos of war. This moment speaks to the humanity of the soldiers involved. And we can only hope that those truces continue. After the break, we'll be back with Christmas stories. Please give us a call at 244-1777. I'll share mine if you share yours. You're listening to Vermont Viewpoint on WDEV. WDEV. 
How did you celebrate your holiday? We are here to take your holiday calls. 244-1777. Give me a call and let me know how you did. Uh, Brett Curtis is at the soundboard, or the board as we call it, and uh, he's the expert uh, announcer on all things high school uh, sports. A little new at the soundboard, so he's figuring out how to push the button to break in and let me know that uh, folks are on the line. Um, How did you celebrate your holiday? Uh, For some, this is a very difficult time. Others, it's joyous. How was it for you? We want to hear it all. For me, it's always a mixed occasion. We're actually right now in Northern California enjoying lovely weather, doing the show from a a, uh, a radio studio in Northern California, right downtown, and uh, one one community radio uh, studio to another. Uh, the folks at W at KWMR are incredibly welcome. Two of our children spent Christmas with us. We've we've forsaken the Christmas tree in our uh, in late in in the recent years, and in favor of this year, sticks from the forest pinched together, wrapped in lights with the gifts underneath. It was actually great. We haven't taken it down yet. We hike and plan secret gifts and looked in on other family members. My 92-year-old mom, a stepmom in New York, two sons, two other sons, both sick as dogs in other locales. Sick on Christmas, the worst. We watched The Family Stone, fast becoming my favorite Christmas movie. It's about a family welcoming back all the kids and their partners to the family home in New England. Everything, of course, goes wrong. It's funny, profound, and deeply tender, uh, guaranteed to bring a tear to your eye. And at 30 years old or thereabouts, it ages really well. There's, there's, um, There's the... Son who is uh, deaf and uh, and uh, has for many years been with his gay partner, and there's all sorts of uh, issues around that. And then, of course, uh, the well-to-do uh, Wall Street type brings home uh, Sarah Jessica Parker, who is uh, who's intense and uh, detail-oriented and tries her best to fit in to this relaxed uh, sort of New England family and fails at every moment. Um, And it's just a great, I think, a great movie. My family loves it. Uh, We did the Charlie Brown's Christmas. And for a certain generation, that will bring back great memories. And I'm going to read you uh, a a great little piece uh, that I found in the New York Times about Charlie Brown's Christmas. Um, but before I do that, I want to want to read one message from my friend, John Snell, who lives in downtown Montpelier, uh, who wanted to join us but couldn't. Uh, also, uh, he but he wanted to talk about uh, what his experience. I'm just amazed at how well seeing people can make the experience of staying in touch compared to only talking on the phone. Just my, just my 25 cents worth. Uh, yeah, John Snell, that's right. Uh, 
even even if you're just getting on Zoom, uh, talking to my mom, that my 92 year old mom in New Jersey, um, so important, uh, so fun, a uh, lot of people together, a lot of people alone, but boy, that Zoom, it's it's the next best thing. Um, so. Uh, Brett Curtis uh, has somebody on the line. I forgot their name. I apologize. They're from Shelburne. Please remind me of your name and welcome to the show. And uh, one of the things that comes to mind this morning, as I'm not sure if you're still at Point Reyes, is it? Is that the way you pronounce it? That's uh, correct. And I am. I am right there downtown. Well, I. Don't know downtown, but like um, in the vicinity of, well, 1975, something like that. I used to do road trips because I sold pottery equipment and so on, and there would be a national convention of of pottery equipment makers and teachers of that. Anyhow, uh, and I had a friend from the Boston Children's Museum who worked at the Exploratorium in San Francisco then, and I had permission to spend a night in a treehouse at Point Ray. Oh. <laughs> and it was, you know, I don't remember the details of all the names. The woman's name was Jennifer, I think. But uh, and I think her father, her parents might have been in the architecting business and had a home there. And, and there was a, a, a very nice California-style treehouse, which I spent a night in. Uh and as for Chris, I'm not much of a celebrant these days, being what well, I take a little liberty and call myself a bachelor farmer, but <clears throat> having sold the farm for the old man gig to live where the roads are paved and driveways are short and flat. Um, yeah, join the club. And, join the club. And in the... Uh, in the Christmas zone, and I think it must have been 51 years ago, probably 1972, I became one of the few, if any other, uh, roasted chestnut vendors on Church Street uh, wow. because I had had a, a pottery apprentice. I'd been busy that summer working with getting a house built and things, and an apprentice offer came along, and it turned out to be not useful <laughs> and i bought a bag of chestnuts from bill's store in charlotte <clears throat> and set up with a wrought iron floor lamp type of thing with a little charcoal roaster on it and it was a great experience for me to get on the street rather than just pouting in the southeast corner of charlotte <laughs> and i got a permit of course from city hall and uh, and it, it's one of those aromatic things in a way. Most people hadn't heard or thought much about roasted chestnuts, but if if you had and if you smelled them on the street, you you were taken back to a a good old time. Uh, and the first chestnuts I had found, I had also been in Europe on a motor scooter <clears throat> in 1959. And, and found chestnuts on the street and kind of made a little campfire and roasted them for some. I guess I'd been aware of them somehow at that time. So roasting chestnuts on Church Street in the good old days when there was traffic, you could just feed a parking meter <laughs> and uh, and 
have a good time among the populace while the the people who didn't have a failed craft business <clears throat> were inside the old Woolworths before it became the entry to the mall there uh, doing an indoor craft market kind of thing. And, uh, well, and Sarah George <clears throat> appearing later reminded me because I had once had occasion to mention, which I've mentioned to you before, and which is one of the most important things as our society kind of comes unglued, uh, <clears throat> the roots of empathy as not that it's the magic word, but, but studying our society as an anthropologist <laughs> is something that's important, and as 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 busy as we are working with the results of something gone wrong in terms of just honesty and all kinds of human relationship difficulties, um, treating, you know, have, this Roots of Empathy is an example of something that is trying to build a better society child by child, as that's stated somewhere on their website. It's a .org, Roots of Empathy. Uh, anyhow, the concept of let's get some studies, partly to study those students who from 1996 have been in schools, mostly in Canada, getting being a part of through their school year, this Roots of Empathy program. Uh, so anyhow, I'm hoping that our leadership or somebody will will begin studying the issue of, of where it's going different and not productive in our society of too many guns and too much gender abuse and all kinds of things. I think I've rambled enough. You still there? No, he, oh, I'm still here. I, I, I learned from the great Mark Johnson that the uh, the show's about the listeners, not me, and I just I wanted to listen to everything you had to say. I, I love listening to you talk about chestnuts on Church Street. Can you describe the fire again? Was it well, did they allow you it was to have an open like fire on Church Street? Yeah, as I say, it was one of those wrought iron, like a floor lamp type of thing, wrought iron with three legs forged up, and then it sticks up and yeah. has a – in the – original days it had a light fixture hanging at at about chest level or chin level and i just took a like a gallon and a half cast iron stew pot and made a little griddle for the top of it and put a charcoal fire in the bottom <laughs> and i I had a, a nice metal garbage can carefully prote uh, protected so I could bring it in my Volvo, old Volvo sedan <laughs> in and we didn't have to light the fire and wait for the coal to develop on Church Street. I could get ready to get it to roll, ready to roll. <clears throat> right. And you just cut across in the in the chestnuts and roast them on the, um, at that point that was a charcoal fire and as i say and just wrapped them up in little squares of newspaper or something and sell them for i don't remember just how much not too much it kept the parking meter fed anyhow and uh, <laughs> but it was just bringing bringing good cheer to to the season and uh, you know finding some 
sort of some <clears throat> people in Charlotte who actually had a store or had had experience, and and I did a small Charlotte version of that, and some years after that of just entertaining their kids with roasted chestnuts. Uh, it's just a you know it's something, and I don't know now. I mean, still in Athens, or you'll you'll well, I haven't checked that recently, but. You will probably see them on the streets, and it used to be Manhattan or other places. There would be some roasted chestnut vendors. It's just a dandy little warm autumnal wintertime snack, <laughs> and uh, I still do it to some degree. <clears throat> Actually, I find I have a a little, a very small. Um, Oh, what are those hot air things? Those, uh, yeah. The what are what are they? They they talk about frying stuff with hot air. Yeah, um, yeah. Anyhow, it's an air fryer. It's an air fryer. Yeah, air fryer. That's exactly the words. I'm not old. It just seems like it sometimes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, that I found putting him in that at the 400 and some degrees for half an hour or 20 minutes or so does a pretty nice job with chestnuts as well. Makes them so they get dried out and peel easily. Um, we got to go. Uh, at, yeah, at I, I thank break. you for letting thank me go on. Call. It's very nice to uh, be talking to the outside world. Thanks again. It's Have a great fantastic. new year. Bye. You too. Happy New Year. we got to take a break. I'm going to come back right after this. It's Vermont Viewpoint on WDEV. I believe we're back. Taking your Christmas stories and uh, sharing all the good things of the holiday season, even if it was hard for and for many, it is not an easy time. There's loneliness out there, and we've got to acknowledge it. So. Uh, Feel free to call in and share those stories with me. Um, we we were gonna spend the next half an hour talking to Chitton and State's Attorney Sarah George, the Chief Prosecutor and Law Enforcement Officer in the county. Um, she just texted me and said she cannot join us if she because uh, her she has two members of her staff out sick and she has to cover for them in court. Uh, we were going to have an up-to-the-minute update from Sarah on the latest in the threats against her and her staff. Um, last week, the Chittenden County Courthouse was evacuated as uh, under threats to court personnel and Sarah George herself and her staff. Law enforcement from the Burlington Police to the FBI and Vermont Court Security and Chittenden County Sheriff converged on the building and escorted George and her staff to their cars. They worked from home on Friday. Police identified a man who allegedly made the threats, questioned him, and searched his home. Uh, I I don't believe at this moment an arrest has been made. It seems they know who this guy is. It seems there's some history about this. Um, This is nothing new to Sarah George. Uh, She's been on this show a couple of times, and she has talked about uh, threats to her life and for that matter it's nothing new to house speaker joe kowinski who has faced stalking uh threats 
against her. Uh, these are public officials, and public officials all over the country are under threat. I just saw a report that said that the judges on the Colorado Supreme Court that ruled in that case ruling that Donald Trump can't be on the ballot out there uh, are under threat. Uh, the threats by Rudy Giuliani, uh, Trump's lawyer against poll workers, uh, leading to his own bankruptcy and the ruination of these poll workers' lives is just the most famous example. For some reason, it seems normal or acceptable to threaten public officials suddenly. I've got my views on this, but I wanted to take uh, take the issue on with Sarah George herself. Uh, but it's beginning to look like she cannot join us. Uh, but we may have the next best thing, which is um, I, I'm told that Mark Johnson is on the line, the former host of this show. Hey, Mark, welcome to the show. Let's see if we can push the right button and get Mark on the show. Um, we were looking forward to having Sarah George on. And uh, she was going to take us through what happened to her and her staff last week. Uh, I'm a little late on some of the details. But, uh, you know, th as I said, this isn't new to Sarah George. She's been she, I think she has full time security uh, that that, guard, that protects her while she's in the courthouse. Um, you know, with this with this stuff, uh, threats to public officials going on. I, I'm, you know, I'm not sure where this came from, but, uh, you know, we've gotten to a place in our society and in our political life where it seems okay to threaten public officials. It seems okay, you know, the January 6th insurrection and attack on the Capitol, uh, that I think, I think these things are connected. Um, and I gotta, I gotta wonder how law enforcement handles this kind of stuff because it's now so easy in an internet world to just type out a threatening email uh, or pick up the phone. Well, you can always pick up the phone, but uh, it's just so easy to type out a threatening email to a public official, whether it's the president or, or Sarah George or whomever. And law enforcement has to take those threats seriously. And and I'll tell you, when you get a threat like that, it is incredibly serious and it's incredibly scary. Um, you know, they don't know the person who's being threatened doesn't know whether this person is serious or just sort of out for a lark after a couple of beers. Um, I do believe that we have the one and only Mark Johnson on the line. Mark, welcome to the show. Well, I thought I was going to have to fill in for you there for about 15 minutes. <laughs> Happy holidays. Um, so you, you we, we were, that's we the were, only reason I called. We were talking about this, these threats on pub, to public officials. And I, all I've read is the Times Argus story about Sarah George, but maybe you're a little closer to it up in Chittenden County. You know, I'm not as familiar with what's going on with her office. I mean, I've, I think I've heard some of the same things you have, but the, you also mentioned Joe Krawinski, who um, I, I've had a couple of conversations with in the past few months. And it's, um, you know, it's just really scary stuff because, you know, as you were saying, you just never know if this is something where somebody's just kind of lashing out or if it's something where 
it's really serious. And I know in the case of the House Speaker, um, you know, it was a a very credible, serious threat. And somebody who um, was just clearly not well. And, uh, you you know, we live in a state where I think we really prize our ability to just walk around and not have to have massive amounts of security and things like that. I, I mean, I, you know, I, I work at a couple of media outlets. You, you can't get in the front door at WCAX without getting without a code or without somebody letting you in. I mean, it, it's it's kind of everywhere out there. And, you know, I, I heard you sort of slowly making the connection there. And I think I think, you know, your analysis is correct. But I think the climate out there is at a point where, um, you know, this is this is somehow it's like outrage fatigue. You know, the, this kind of stuff is just happening more and more often. And I think that empowers people to do things they might not have otherwise done. It's a little scary. It's a little different than when you and I were at the Burlington Free Press when uh, readers just walked in the door. To come. Oh, I, yeah. I mean, people would just walk up the stairs, walk right into the newsroom and. Yeah, you know, same thing at WDEV. People would just walk in. I can remember being there with, you know, there were times where it was basically me and Dana Jewell alone, um, you know, and it just, uh, uh, you know, Dana, for, you know, fortunately was, you know, always um, uh, uh, a, a good uh, defense for me, at least. But, you know, it, it is, I mean, not to joke about it. it. It's really scary stuff. You know, when you're, when you're the House Speaker or you're the, state's attorney i mean these are people that are they're part of their job includes making some people are not going to be happy with their decisions and um that's just not you know that's just not a way to have to go to work every day with that sort of adrenaline and that threat kind of always hanging over your head you're kind of always looking around yeah you know in in addition mark to the you know the internet fueling the ability of of anybody to just tap out a threatening email i think think i'm looking at an ap poll i don't have the details but the headline is you know that that trust and in in our institutions of government is at an all-time low you know i just you know i just wonder whether this next generation that didn't grow up on newspapers and is 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 native to the internet. I, I, I'm just starting to wonder whether or not that, you know, even non-crazy people, just regular people, losing faith in the ability of of the society to function day to day, whether that fuels some of this too. Well, you know, I'll stick with an area that you and I both know, which is trust in the media has never been lower. Right after Watergate, I think it was, um, you know, 80 percent of people actually trusted and had faith what was in a, in a newspaper. Walter Cronkite was the, quote unquote, most trusted man in America. And it's just plummeted since then and probably for good reason. You know, there's an awful lot of real garbage out there that passes itself off as news. You know, it's all about um, holding your attention. I mean, I can't really even I can't even watch the CBS Evening News anymore. It's just one, you know, story after another that's just meant to that's not really news, not really anything you and I can do anything about and is really designed to just keep your attention. It's sort of one disaster after another. And I I just don't really 
you watch the BBC news and it's almost boring, but it's it's actual news. So it you know, it's uh, yeah, it's it's uh, it's a it's a time of uh, you know great concern, no question about it. You know, around our Christmas dinner table, uh, this subject among others came up, and uh, several of my own children said, "I never read a newspaper." And all of my news comes, all of my news comes online. And these are, you know, these are people uh, in their thirties really interested in government and how, how things function and interested in the news. Um, It's not necessarily a bad thing that they're not reading a newspaper. I guess they're getting their news from the BBC online or wherever, but it sure is not. You know, I, I, I think I told you at one point I taught a journalism course at Champlain and I asked the students where they got their news and 90 percent of them got it through TikTok. Um, And that, you know, uh, that that was not the high the high point of my short career as a as a professor of journalism. That really gave me a lot of thought. And that's that's just not consuming news, basically, in 125 word news stories is is pretty sad. You know, it's it's um, sort of classic of social media, which depends on short attention spans and, um, you know, reading a story that's four or five minutes long. You know, it's like a novel. It's, it's and then things are just so much more complex. You know, it, there's not the black and white that everybody wants things to be. There's a lot of gray. There's a lot of nuance in there. And sometimes it, it, it takes a longer story to really get that across. And I'm just not sure. And it's not just younger people. I think it's older people, too. I think all of our attention spans are just not really as good as they should be. But, you know, I'm really glad I called, um, you know, to wish you Merry Christmas to have this sort of great, upbeat conversation. <laughs> well, God, when when we get you on the line, we've got to take advantage. Yeah, there, I, you I go. Go back, there you go. I want to go back to Sarah George and, and Joe Krowinski because – you know, there's a balance between the, the, the right of free speech uh, to criticize and complain to your public officials. Uh, there's that. And then there's the, you know, the line you cross when you threaten them. I mean, these are, uh, God, you know, public service used to be public service. And now it's, you know, some of these people, these are real threats and they're taking their life in their hands to do a job that pays very little and uh, requires hours and hours of extra personal time really serving the public. At least that's the way I know that's the way they think about it. And I don't well, know. Imagine do walking to your car at the end of the day and you've got to be looking yeah. over your shoulder. I mean, that, you know, and the same is true with in nurses, you know, I know are being subjected to a lot of violence. Um, you know, I interviewed some ENTs in, here in Burlington who, really felt defeated, you know, that they're Narcani people a couple of times in a shift. I mean, there's, you know, I don't want to say that I think, I think we've got a lot of problems out there that uh, I don't have any sort of solution to. And, you know, God bless anybody that goes into public service. I mean, you know, one of the candidates for mayor had people protesting outside her house. I mean, that to me is sort of a line that, you know, you and I um, in in our days have just not really seen. And, and again, that's just not, you know, people have got to be allowed to have their, their you know, their freedom and their, their right to safety and, you know, protesting outside of a, pu- a public official's 
personal harm to me is is crossing a line. So I, I'd love to yeah. talk more, but I got to run on you. But um, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year, and keep up the good work, brother. Bro. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, okay. Mark. Mark Mark Johnson, the former host of this show for oh I don't know twenty plus years. Uh, always you always get the straight scoop from him. Um, yeah, this this balance between the uh, your First Amendment right to uh, petition your government, it's right there in the First Amendment, uh, to complain, uh, to lead uh, protests. Um, but when you're outside, uh, well, it was Joan Shannon, that candidate for mayor, who came on the show and talked about this. Um, it's it's a it's a tension and it's a line. Uh, why don't we go to Chris in Waterbury and talk more about it? Chris, welcome to the show. Good morning, Kevin. Um, morning. I ca- I called into both programs yesterday, and I haven't called in in like three years. Uh, and I yeah. don't want to overdo my overdo my welcome, but I uh, your discussion this morning uh, really got me uh, concerned, or or you know. I want to express my thoughts on on it. Um, Go ahead. The first caller that you had there, the uh, pottery salesman, he kind of opened a can of worms here, and then kind of Mark tailgated it, and uh, I'm jumping on it. So, uh, one of the first comments uh, that your first caller made was about empathy. Um, you know, that's that's a conversation that's going to take longer than this radio program, but. Uh, uh, you know, to devi- define empathy, my idea of empathy is a hand up, not a hand out, uh, because I think handing out does more damage on both ends of the spectrum than handing up when it comes to building a stronger community. Uh, as time goes on, and I think Mark feels the same way, I'm becoming more and more dis- disenfranchised with the human race. Um, it seems in the, as though we're devolving instead of evolving. And, uh, you know, this this unraveling of our society uh, across the planet, across the globe, uh, with Ukraine and Israel and now the protests here uh, in the U.S., um, you know, the question I want to throw out there, uh, once one segment of our society is eliminated through bombing and killing and shooting and whatnot, Who's next in line? That's the question I want to ask people. Who's going to be the evil person or the bad person after that? Uh, Is there really the perfect person out there? Um, And what happens at the end game when when you've eliminated everybody except for one race? Do you suppose there will be prejudice then? You can guarantee it. You know, everything, one of the things I've witnessed is that everything that humans touch, and you can, there's a laundry list much longer than the, than the good side of it, uh, we abuse. Yeah. We abuse each other, we abuse our planet, we abuse our water systems, we abuse our medical industry, we abuse our food industry by feeding people crap uh, for the sake of profits. You know, I could go on and on and on with that list. Um, you know, I kind of chuckled to myself there on Christmas Day 
when I thought about the meaning of Christmas. And I said to myself, you know, in a sense, Christmas means that everybody's supposed to. Well, I don't know if we lost him. Chris and Waterbury was on a great run there. And uh, Brent, I don't know if we can get him back, but uh, let's give it a shot in the, uh, boy, Chris was talking about the meaning of Christmas there. Um, Are you still there? Yeah, I'm here. Keep going. You're on a roll. Okay. (laughs) So the meaning of Christmas, I said to myself, that's the day of the year, one day of the year, that everybody's supposed to drop their guard, supposed to put away their differences and their grievances and come together and hold each other and pray for better days. Yeah. I'd like to say to the listeners out there, how about we reverse that around? Instead of instead of 364 days of throwing rocks at each other and hating on each other and abusing everything we touch and coming to day, coming together for one day, how about we turn it around? Let's hate on each other one day and treat each other yeah. the best that we can the 364 days. Are you still there? I'm still here. You know, Chris, I was uh... – Greg Titus, uh, before the show, one of the folks here at DEV was talking about the Festivus uh, Festival, <laughs> which was, I guess, a Seinfeld invention by oh, yeah. by one of by one of the writer's fathers <laughs> who didn't like the commercialism of Christmas, and he created this Festivus event at his own family where they sat around the table and did crazy things. Uh, I hear you, and uh, I think it's a great so- thing that we should pledge ourselves to last couple of comments and then I'll let you go. Um, as a board member at one point and then a, you know, a long time community member here in Waterbury. Uh, in fact, my mother's side of the family, this, you aren't going to believe this, but including my grandson, we've been here nine generations in Waterbury. Wow. Um, I've called for a community gathering such a way that, if we had the school gym or something where people could come, strangers and friends, and sit down and talk amongst each other. I think one of the biggest problems we have today is we don't know each other on a personal level. And yeah. and the rule would be at the community gathering that you'd sit down at the table with people you didn't know. And yeah. you'd get to know them. And one more, the last comment I have is, uh, this might sound kind of quirky, but... If this planet was faced with an asteroid hurling at it and you had two weeks left to live, I wonder how people's mentality would change and how they would look at each other knowing that the end is in sight and there's nothing that anybody can do about it. You suppose the greed would go away and the hatred would go away? It's hard to to say, but I wish everybody uh, a happy new year and moving forward, we really got to try hard to uh, put our best foot forward for one another for not only the planet's sake, but our sake. And I appreciate you taking my call, Kevin. Thank you. Hey, and we appreciate you calling in. Wow. Nine generations and uh, three years since you called in. And thank you for, thank you for leading the way there. Uh, yeah. Yeah. We should, how about every town having a, having an event like that in their gym and it's a, uh, well, Kind of like town meeting. 
but we got to figure out a way to help people get to town meeting, maybe make it a holiday. And, uh, yeah, the policy is sit with somebody you don't know and talk about something that you're not expected to talk about. Um, well, that was Chris from Waterbury. That was great. Uh, 364 days of uh, acting empathetic and charitable to your neighbor uh, and then uh, just one day of tribal politics and being angry at each other. Um, thanks for the call. Uh, we are going to uh, coming up on our next break and we're going to come back 